Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. Hello, I am joined today by Biz Brightby, founder of Women in Negotiation and TEDx speaker. You might be wondering why we are talking to Biz as she's not a woman in data. Well, aside from the fact that she is awesome and has been featured in business magazines such as Forbes, Biz has helped over 1,000 women get a job they love and with an average salary increase of 49%. Yes, you heard that well, 49%. This will be talking about negotiating your wealth. And at the end of this episode, you will hear from Elizabeth Harris and Cecilia Oliveira talk about what it means for them to have a fulfilled career. One last thing is that this sound doesn't offer the best experience and I apologize for that but the content is definitely worth it. Hi, Vis. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you with me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Karen. I'm so excited to be here. I really am. (laughs) So am I. We are going to talk about a very important topic today, which is negotiation. But before we get into that, can I invite you to introduce yourself? So my name is Vies and I help women to negotiate their worth, basically. Uh, So I'm an expert in negotiation and women empowerment, basically. I've combined those two passions of mine. I always joke that I'm kind of a broad-burning feminist, uh, a raging feminist. And I have a complete and utter obsession uh, with the topic of negotiation. So I've combined those two into the work that I do now at Women in Negotiation, my business, uh, as I mentioned uh, just now, right, that I uh, coach women through in their uh, in their career and negotiation skills. Yeah, I love the fact that you said that you're completely obsessed with it, and I'm thinking oh. I have never negotiated anything in my life. <laughs> Bless your heart. We're gonna be talking about this, Missy, because that is not ideal. No, I and and you know what? That's you're not the only one, right? That's the whole problem. That's why I do the work that I do is because there are too many women like you who feel like they've never negotiated anything. You absolutely have, because we're negotiating every day, all day, right? It's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. So you will have negotiated, but that proactive conversation, career conversations, right, at work, um, too many women still tell me that is not what I do. I sit by my computer, I do really good work, I'm a busy worker bee, right? But I don't actually ask for the recognition. I don't know how to have that conversation. That is why I do the work that I do. I hear that. Do you have any stats on negotiation among women? Yeah, they're fairly dreadful. I don't, I'm not sure if you want to hear them. Let me give you a little bit of a backstory. So I, I used to be a lawyer, right? So for many years, I did all these big ass contracts. And then I became an, an HR director when I, we moved with our family. So I'm originally from Holland. We moved our family to Asia. And so in Hong Kong, that's the work that I did. I, uh, I was an HR director there. So 
180 degrees career change, right? And I used to run, because of that obsession, right, that started at a young age with negotiation, I used to run these trainings around the world with my coworkers. So if I had a meeting in you know, Stockholm or in London or in Vietnam or in wherever, right, in the world, I would always sort of attach, like add a little training on a negotiation. And uh, what would happen was that these trainings were very popular because the topic is, I think, generally recognized to be a really important one in people's lives and people's careers. So people would be leaving the room and they'd be like high-fiving me and going, oh my goodness, this is so fantastic. I'm going to talk to all these people. I'm going to make all these changes in my lives. And then they would not do that. Uh, when I checked in with them because it's really difficult, right? So that was one thing that would always happen. And the other thing was that wherever I was in the world, I would have a little circle around me of women afterwards, always women. It would happen every single time, very consistently. And they would all tell me the exact same thing, which is, this is really important and I really suck at it. Right. It was so like, and even in Stockholm, right, where you'd expect things to be very different, even in London, where you'd expect women to be really kick ass. And it was also, it was very junior people and very senior people. It was really across the board. And so what led me then to uh, do the work that I do was that I, I realized there was this great big freaking need, right, for, uh, for this skill. And so I had that experience that this was what was needed. But then I started digging into the numbers because I'm a geek. So I started reading and um, I read all the research. And the statistic, right? You were asking for numbers. The statistic that jumped out at me that really led me to actually go, all right, you know, <laughs> now all bets are off. I'm in, this is what I'm doing, was um, a study uh, done by Babcock and Lashiever at uh, Carnegie Mellon MBA. So this is a business school, right? A really um, good business school where these two professors, they started investigating to what extent men and women were negotiating their offers, their job offers outside of business school, right? Their first job offer after B school, did you negotiate or not? And it turned out, and I, I get goosebumps every time I, uh, I, I, I think about this, only 7% of the women negotiated their first offers, right? 7%. And of men, it was 57, right? Wow. So very different, very different number. And the men were paid on average quite a bit more than the ladies were, right? So there was a real connection between um, the offers that they were made, their negotiation, and, and ultimately what their salaries were. And so for me, I was bummed out by this because these women are, you know, at the height of their career, right? They've just finished this really prestigious business school degree. They go, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game. If they're not negotiating, how's the rest of us normal human beings, you know, we're going to deal with this basically, right? So that was something that really kickstarted a lot. And then uh, another statistic that I often bring out because I think it's a really important one to realize is that as women we collectively expect to be paid less for the same work as guys do so there's another study um, that they did where they where they actually looked at um, not just the propensity to negotiate right but uh, the, the propensity what are people asking for and as it turned out that uh, for the same you know uh, like fake roles, basically, that were offered to men and women. Uh, the women 
expected to be paid. They they thought they were equally capable of doing the job. They thought they, you know, they had very similar backgrounds, right? So they tested for all of that. But even when all of those things were the same, the women expected to be paid between three and 32% less for that same role as the guys, right? It teaches us, or that statistic teaches us, that there's a lot of internal work that we need to do. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from millennia of not being paid for the work that we do, right? We're supposed to be at home. We're supposed to take care of the group. We're supposed to take care of the kids. And that is not work that, you know, that gets paid, basically. So when we did start joining the workforce about, what is it, 50 years ago or so, in, in some kind of serious numbers, right? It was still very much from the idea of, oh, bless, she's got a job too. Right, like fun, good for her. She's earning yeah. sort of the holiday pay or whatever you call it, right? The holiday money that we can we can do the fun stuff with. But it wasn't really done from a sense of you know that that gender pay gap, right? That's coming. <laughs> that's that, I mean that has many causes, but uh, one of them really is also women's understanding that the work that they do is less valuable ultimately, which is very sad. It makes me incredibly, incredibly sad to realize that we just value ourselves less than guys do. But that's the that's the state. So that's my work, right? I want to take them by the hand. I want to kind of shake them and go, you know, light a little fire, right? Under their feet and in their heart to make sure that they actually overcome that kind of mental hurdle, right? Because when you put these two statistics together, you realize that A, there's a massive problem in just having the conversation at all, right? Having the negotiation at all, just starting that, that process. And then the other issue is that even when you do decide to negotiate, right? When you've taken that sort of mental hurdle already of, oh my God, yeah, you are doing it, right? Then it's still very important that you then, you're also ambitious in your ask, right? Because if you don't ask, you're not going to get. If you think, oh, I should get 10 for this role, you're never going to get more than 10, right? They're not going to proactively just throw money at you. That never really happens, right? So you've got to see it. You've got to believe it, that you are worth that. You've got to ask for it before you can actually make it happen. And so one of the ways in which women, you know, and I'm generalizing massively here, I'd like to apologize to anybody listening here. I, I, I make massive sweeping generalizations, but across the board, what we see is that for women, you know, when they don't um, value themselves at a certain level, when they don't ask for them, they're, they're simply not going to get it. And they're, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot basically by doing that. So there's a lot of work to be done. That actually makes me wonder, do you think there are any moments where it's okay not to negotiate? Because, so you were talking about the fact that it comes from the fact that women were not used to work. And then when they started working, it was kind of like, oh yeah, well, you're working, you have some money now. Yeah, that's so, your right. Yeah. 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 But for example, if there is a job that you really, really want and you feel like the offer is fair, um, do you think it's okay not to negotiate? No, no, it's never okay not to negotiate. And I feel very strongly about it. And let me explain to you why. When you are negotiating, right? Negotiation is, is like you're losing out on much more than just whatever percentage, you know, you haven't asked for it, therefore you won't get it, right? So, okay, dirty little HR secret is that there's always 5% more than they're giving you right off the bat. All you need to do is ask. Right? I, I was an HR director. We did that. Right? That was, that's the thing. So 
even if you simply ask, there's always that money. There's always more that's available. So don't ever, from now onwards, I really hope that those that are listening will never get in that situation where they don't ask at all, right? Um, I'd like to point out, get really good at it, and that number increases dramatically, right? The, the average that my clients are getting in salary increases is 49%, right? So you, there, there's a massive upside. But coming back uh, to your question, if you are made an offer and you don't negotiate that, you're not just leaving money on the table. You're also basically sort of educating, training your boss on how to deal with you. You're basically saying, I'm okay. I'll just do whatever you tell me to. I'll just, you know, I'll be easy, right? Basically. And so, I mean, if we're, if we're taking this one step further, and I'm not sure if this is kind of the depth that you want, but I think it is important. If you don't raise your hand and have this conversation at the moment where you should be doing that, right? There, it's, it, it doesn't get more classic than an interview scenario and a, a salary negotiation part, right? You will kind of receive less respect in the workplace after that uh, because the value that's assigned to you, to your, to how people see you, right, is in part tied to what you earn. So even when you are made an offer that seems fair, and basically I also want you to make sure, and I mean women in data, so I get, I guess that all of you are massive data geeks and you'll, you'll do your research, right? So I'm, I'm just going to assume that. But that's an issue that a lot of women face as well, that they say, well, I don't know. I don't know what I should earn. And so they'll leave it at that. It feels all right. It seemed high, right? But you get you get screwed over pretty quickly that way. So you, you need to do your research. You need to know that indeed it is fair. But even if it is fair, just having the conversation and basically giving off the message, hey, I take myself seriously. I need you to take me seriously. I need to take this relationship seriously is a really great way of kind of managing expectations and yeah, having them value you the same way um, as they would with a guy who would negotiate, right? Because that's the other thing. So, so let's assume, right, that you are offered a job and uh, at a hundred, and your coworker or you know another person, another applicant for the role is also uh, offered the role, but uh, at a hundred, right? But they negotiate a five percent increase. Then what I do, I do this calculation in my training where I show that that five percent increase. If you're thirty years old, if you don't make any other changes in your career, but you just you know you have the same annual increases as everybody else gets. I think I say that 4%, and you never change jobs, you just continue, that's a 300K difference at the end of your career, right, after 30 years, which is insane when you think about it. 300K for just a five-minute conversation and a 5% that I said is always available to you, right? But what's really, really insidious in all of this is that regardless of that sort of extra money, if your coworker, let's call him Bob, right, we always call the generic white dude uh, Bob, uh, Let's, let's call him Bob, right? If Bob and you are in the same position, but he's earning 10, 20, 30% more than you are, not because he's better, but because he asked, but because he had a conversation, right? Your boss is not going to think, and all the other people that know, you know, this difference, right? The salary difference. They're not going to think, oh, Bob was raised in a different environment. He's been told from a young age that he should speak up for himself, that he should be, you know, show leadership and confidence, and he should have these conversations. He's been taught how to do this. And she hasn't. 
Carol never learned how to do this. She never, you know, she wasn't raised to actually speak up for herself. In fact, we know that society kind of penalizes you when you do it in the wrong way, right? So they don't think that. You know what they think? Bob's making more money. It must be because he's better. As I always say, people are stupid. Our brains take shortcuts, right? So we don't think of all the sort of the societal impact and historical, you know, we don't think about any of that. We just think, oh, they must be better, right? There must be a reason why they're earning more. They must be better. So how is that for adding insult to injury, right? Not only are you making less money, but they also think higher of you. They think more of you. Right. And then we can go on about the health impact. We can we can work on that financial impact. Right. Because the, the number or the, the, the picture gets much worse when you uh, include, you know, you're starting with 100 and then 30 years later, the same job. That's a very unrealistic picture. If you if you change the numbers a little bit so that people change every couple of years in terms of job, we're running into millions, millions more for being a consistent negotiator versus not being a consistent negotiator, right? Compound interest is a, I don't know what uh, Albert Einstein called it, mathematical explosion. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a bitch, sorry. Um, but yeah, so, so um, there's a lot of reason to negotiate. Even when it seems fair, right, still have the conversation. Still, please raise your hand and say, hey, can we do better than that? because it has a, a profound effect on the rest of your career, the way that they see you, and of course, on your wallet. I mean, 300K, what would you do with that? It's good money, huh? Yeah. No, but really think about it. It's a lot of money, right? So yeah. So we have to negotiate, even if we feel like it's fair. And you do not believe in quick fixes, I was told. What journey would you recommend for someone who would like to become a, a better negotiator? Because I'm guessing, okay, that interview, you want to get there, you want to negotiate the salary, but if you don't know how to do it, you're not going to get anything, right? So yeah. how do you become better at it? Hashtag take yourself seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so take it as seriously as all the training that you've put inside yourself to become the data scientist that you are, the data analyst that you are. Like what I don't understand is that people go to university for a number of years and before that we have high school and elementary school, right? So they spend decades in education, basically getting really good at whatever it is that they specialize in. And then the, the last piece of the puzzle, right? The bit where they can leverage all of that blood, sweat and tears and money that goes into that education, right? They don't do that. When I get really RC when I when I talk about there's no quick fixes, right? Because that's what what people sometimes do. They come to me and they say, "I have an interview tomorrow. Can you, you know, like help me?" And I'm like, "That's not how it works, right?" There's a lot of work mindset trash basically that we need to get rid of in order for you to shine in these types of conversations. There is a lot of work, so it's all mindset work. So. As I say, right, there are no quick fixes. It's not a matter of I'll read this quick book or there's this quick thing. I would say when I say hashtag take yourself seriously, right, is taking yourself seriously to the extent that you want to be recognized for the work that you do and realize really having that mind shift, realizing that by asking for yourself, you're actually doing your future employer, your current employer, if it's a salary raise, you're doing them a massive favor. Because give me any woman who feels recognized and valued for the work that she does, she will blow you away. And so what taking yourself seriously looks like for me is work on your mindset, work on your confidence, work on your belief in yourself, right? Take that really, really seriously. And there's, there's a ton of 
you know, resources out there, but please take it further than your quick lists in, in the magazines, right? 10 tips for more confidence. And if it was that simple, everybody would be, you know, shining on stages and, you know, being super confident, right? It's hard work. So I don't know. I'm a big fan of therapy. I'm a big fan of coaching. I'm a big fan of doing the inner work so that, you know, that shows up externally, basically. And then when it comes to techniques and, and sort of strategies, right, uh, in negotiation, there are, there are books out there. I mean, the, the thing that got me so obsessed with negotiation was the book Getting to Yes. It's very old. It sounds like a self-help book. It's, it's a terrible title, but it's, uh, it's actually uh, the standard book on negotiation in the world. So I read that when I was 18. That changed my life, right? I decided I am going to make this world a better place by having everybody talk to each other and resolve their problems through negotiation and then we'll have world peace and everything will be fine. Now I'm still working on that, right? So we're not there yet, but it definitely changed the trajectory of my life, but also my thinking around the subject. So highly recommend that book. Do keep in mind, it's written by white dudes for white dudes, right? For other white dudes. So it requires quite a bit of adaptation and love. But it does give the basics of interest-based negotiation, as it's called, or principled negotiation, which is the very core of the work that I do. And ultimately, also the core of what we as women, uh, how we like to negotiate. Because interest-based negotiation is about understanding the other side. Now, what do we as women do really well? What have we been raised, right? When we were back in the cave and we had to take care of the group, right? We were taught and we are all taught still today from a young age to think about others first. So that is what we do. So we're really great at communication. We're really great at empathy, right? We have great antenna. We have great listening skills. And all of those things are needed for great interest-based negotiation. So we've got everything it takes to negotiate well. So... On the one hand, I'm saying, like, take yourself seriously, take this subject seriously. On the other hand, I want you to know that you have all the skills you need to do exceptionally well in these types of conversations. Yeah. So that said, I know when I started my career, it was a lot around headhunting. The headhunter would negotiate your salary. And obviously you will tell them, okay, this is my salary expectations. But what happened in my experience and many of my friends' experiences you tell them your salary expectations and then they never come back to you and ask you, okay, so are you okay with this kind of money? They just come back with an offer saying, this is okay. what they've offered. So what I'll say is that what you do, what you want to do is you want to leverage the wonderful qualities that the, the headhunter has as the mediator, as the, you know, the connector basically the, the matchmaker, if you will, right? So they often have insights into opportunities that aren't advertised on the market. So I'd like you to take back that control personally and actually start reaching out to companies yourself because the, the hidden job market is massive, right? The numbers range from 70 to 90% of the roles out there aren't advertised. So either headhunters know them or you've just got to, you can just proactively go after them these companies and these opportunities yourself. So there's that. But if you are, uh, if you have a headhunter working for you, or if you're in contact with a headhunter, or they reach out to you, right? Um, use them for that wonderful skill of, you know, being able to put you in touch with a company that has potentially a interesting role, right? There's something that made them think about you and that role and that company connection there. So that's fantastic, wonderful. Let's celebrate that. But don't give away your power to them in negotiating. That is not their freaking 
anymore. Why not? They don't have your best interest at heart. Now, that may sound a little bit counterintuitive to people because their fee, right, the, the, the headhunter's fee, is based in part on your salary, your annual salary. Right? So they get a percentage of that. It, it ranges, I mean, the numbers change, but back in my days, I'm very old, but back in my days, it was between 15 and 20% of your annual salary is a fee that the headhunter gets. So the immediate thought is, well, if I earn more, right, it, it benefits the headhunter, right? So I should, they should work hard to get that number, that salary, as high as possible. Here's the problem, though. It's a numbers game for them. It's enough. They have they have just jobs to get through. They have people to introduce. They've got you know, they don't tend to have a lot of brain space and time for individual roles. The quicker they can get you in that company, the better it is for them because then they can spend their brain space and time on other people, right? And other matchmaking, basically. So there's a ceiling to their interest. There's a cap to their interest in getting you a really good salary. Mostly, they just want it to be easy, right? So, because it's only one fifth max that they are getting off your salary. So, a 10k increase that may make, make a difference for you, or a 20% uh, or a 20k difference uh, in salary for you, is only percentage-wise, you know, obviously much smaller for them, right? So, you lose interest. So, don't give away your power to somebody who doesn't have your best interest at heart, right? Take back that control and say, "Thank you very much for introducing me. I'll take it from you," right? And then have that yourself because you are your own best advocate. You really are. That's a really good tip. Thank you. Hey, can I can I get on a high horse? Do you have time for me to get on a high horse about something else that's yeah, really sure. important to me? Okay. <laughs> so you're you're making me think, right? This whole conversation around uh, salary expectations and having a headhunter involved is making me think about something that happens a lot in sort of the the recruitment world out there. It's getting less and less, but it's still very prevalent, and it's something that I want to warn all of you for, which is that they don't ask what are your salary expectations. They ask, what's your current salary? Yeah. Right? This is how women stay underpaid and undervalued. Because what they're going to do is when you tell them that, right, what they're going to do is offer you 5% more than that. 5% is usually enough to make you jump. Right? So they're going to offer, and, and if you were already underpaid, probably by much more than 5%, if you've never negotiated, right? Well, 5% more is, is you know, Okay, but it's it's not gonna sort of solve the problem, right? So you're gonna stay underpaid and it's gonna get worse and worse and worse the more senior you get, right? So never, ever, ever, for the love of gold, if, if there's one thing I want people to take away from this this conversation, right? It's never, ever, 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 ever tell people what you're currently making. It's none of their business, right? What really matters is what is the role that you're gonna be doing. That's the only relevant factor in here. Uh, is what are you going to be doing that's going to be a different role from what you're currently doing, right? And so therefore, let's focus on that and let's bring in the data. I would say data, not drama. Um, you're probably going to love this, right? Bring the data, not the drama. You guys, uh, I should have that tattooed on my forehead. Uh, but, but yeah, right? Bring the data. So do your research about what somebody in that new role that you're going to be doing should get paid and have that conversation. And don't talk about what you're currently making. So if they ask you that, simply reply, big smile. We're very nice about this, right? Big smile, that's irrelevant. It absolutely doesn't matter. You can always hide behind the fact that it's private data, right? That your company doesn't allow you to share this. But also, I would say, and I have an official rule for anybody, any lady listening now to this, um, uh, to this podcast, I have an official rule. If they ask you what you're currently making 
and you give them a big smile and you say that's absolutely irrelevant, they ask you again and they ask you a third time. So they're not listening to what you're saying. It's not relevant. Let's focus on the new job that I'm going to be doing. Let's have that conversation. Uh, or, you know, you say, I'm not allowed to share that information from my employer, whatever it is. They continue. If they ask you three times, uh, don't answer it. Get up, shake your hands, say, thank you very much. It's been great. This is not working for me. And get up and leave. Because again, you're dodging a Now, the official win rule is that when you email me that story, and if you have pictures, even better, but uh, also without pictures, if you email me that story about you getting up, right, and leaving that place, I will send you champagne. I will personally send you a bottle of champagne because I want to celebrate the heck out of you taking charge, right, and not letting them, you know, take advantage of you. And I really want to change people thinking around this. It's worth celebrating. So open invitation. Give me some good stories. I, I've sent champagne across the world. And I do it with software. It's my little bit for life. <laughs> for this world. Yeah. Thank you for listening to my little rant, right? Do not answer this question. And also, here's another tidbit, right? When you talk about your future, uh, the, the new role, right? You can only do data. I'm talking to the right crowd here. You can only do that research and have valuable data, meaningful data, once you know all the ins and outs about the new role. So if they're phoning up and they're saying, hey, what level of salary, you know, would you kind of jump ship for? It's like, well, that depends very much on the role, right? I need more information. I really need to understand what the role is. Then we can talk about what my expectations are because only then will I be able to do the research and I'm bringing the data, not the trauma. And so that's the only conversation I want to have, right? So always push it forward. And you can always say, and I'm sure we'll come to a great outcome. Well, I'm sure we can come to an agreement if there is a match between what this company needs and what I offer. Yeah. Done. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Miss. That was absolutely amazing. Maybe one day you will send me champagne. We will see. <laughs> oh, man. I'd love to send you champagne for many reasons, but that would be one of them. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't enjoy it in the sense that there's kind of a sad reason for it, right? Yeah. But I, I want to ch shift people's mind. I really mean it when I say you're dodging a bullet, right? Just say, thank you very much. This isn't working for me. Right? And literally get up and leave. You'll feel so badass. That alone is freaking worth it. Right? But really, you're not missing out on an opportunity because this was never an opportunity in the first place. If they're treating you like this already, they haven't got your best interest at heart. It's only going to get worse from here. You're not really missing out on anything. Before we, we close this episode, could you tell us where we could find more information about your work or about some resources that you, you would recommend? Yeah, so the, the resources, right? I mentioned the book Getting to Yes earlier. That's kind of my standard to go to. Um, I am online on womeninnegotiation.org. Very long uh, names. That's it. That's my website. Uh, I have a Facebook group. I prefer, I love um, uh, LinkedIn. Big fan of LinkedIn. So if you're listening to this and you want to hear <laughs> my rants, basically, I, I can't do it anymore. Anyway, if you want to hear more of these rants, right, connect with me on LinkedIn. Or if you have any questions that I could maybe help you with, connect with me on LinkedIn. I absolutely love it. And I love other people. So uh, that would be a great, uh, great start. That was such an insightful conversation. What do you think? Before you go, we will hear from Elizabeth Harris and Cecilia Oliveira talking about what it means for them to have a fulfilled career. Let's start with Lizzie, who was on the podcast in January talking about career resilience. 
for me, it's about two things. Firstly, being constantly challenged and learning and achieving that growth. And secondly, it's about respect, respect for myself and what I'm doing. And also if I respect those that I work with and around me, then I will almost certainly enjoy it and have so much fun with it. And now Cecilia, who transitioned into data from a completely different field and is part of the podcast production team. I would say that it is finding your purpose, what you enjoy doing. And for me, it's having the opportunity to learn regularly with a team and a company that supports and encourages you. And that's key. I think that, especially in data, you need to have a passion for learning and constantly trying new techniques. And sometimes this may also include failure, and that's okay, because uh, that's also how you learn. I also think that a fulfilled career is when you can balance your private and your work life. And when you get to the end of the day and you just didn't see your day pass by, because you're so into it and you're learning new things. But at the end, I think that a fulfilled career is when you're proud of your work and that uh, that work brings you happiness. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on LinkedIn. You can also register to the community for free by heading to womenindata.co.uk. We would love to hear from you, so don't be shy and drop us some feedback or a review. This will help us enhance the content and bring the guests that you want to hear from. Have a great day.